This morning we're in the third year of Jesus' ministry, known as the year of opposition. Opposition. It's where we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 14. In a few moments, we'll turn to verse 22. But you can prepare yourselves in the Bible there this morning. Take out a study guide if you'd like to take notes and follow along uh, with us this morning. I really believe that that will help and assist your growth in God's Word. And again, it is so good having you with us this morning. A tale, a story came out of the Korean War, which took place back in the 50s. Back then, the soldiers, the military, were able to live in shelters that were far more than a tent. These shelters uh, that they lived in for months on end by nearby cities in South Korea uh, were more like a little uh, home than a tent. Uh, they would have cots in them, had a bedroom area, uh, a kitchen area. And it was common for the soldiers to hire the young Korean boys to do their chores for them, to get their wood, uh, to prepare their meals, so forth and so on. These soldiers had hired this little Korean boy to do the household uh, chores around their shelter, but these soldiers, time and time and time again, would tease incessantly this little boy. They'd pull pranks on him, fun little pranks, you know, like putting Vaseline on the stove knobs, nailing his shoes to the floor uh, uh, of the shelter, uh, uh, taking a bucket of water and balancing it on top of the door, and he'd get dunked and splashed all wet when he'd open the door. And after a while, these soldiers pulling off their pranks began to feel guilty about what they were doing. And so they sat down with the, the little lad and said, uh, Buddy, from now on, uh, no more Vaseline on the stove knobs. And no more bucket of water uh, dousing you, no more nailing your shoes to the floor. And the little boy looked at them with a wide open expression and, and said, you mean no, no, no sticky on stove knobs? They said, that's right, that's right. N no more naily shoes to the floor? That's right, we're not going to do that anymore. No more bucky water? On door? That's right, we told you. No more pranks. Oh, that's so good because me no more spit in your soup either. <laughs> no more spit in soup. You know, it's amazing. It's amazing. The front that we can put on. All is well. All is good. And that's what we find with the disciples. They've come off a heady day. I mean, they, in Matthew 14, Jesus just performed his most amazing miracle, the multiplying of the loaves and fishes. It's so amazing of a miracle that it's the only miracle repeated in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Only miracle. Multiplying of the loaves and fishes. It is such a stupendous miracle that the Bible says in Matthew 14, it also says in John 6, that they were going to take him by force to be their king. Three gospel writers declare that the people and even the disciples saw the earthly kingdom coming at that time and that moment. Jesus, sensing pride, creeping up into the disciples' hearts. Jesus, sensing that they were only seeing a political revolution instead of a spiritual revival for which he had come. Immediately did what? He had to get them out of there. Jesus had to get them away from negative thinking and negative speaking. Now you understand verse 22 of chapter 14 of Matthew. 
Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, Jesus went up in the hills by himself. I want you to see a map of the Sea of Galilee so you get a sense of geography. When I study the Bible, I want to have a sense of geography. Jesus performed the multiplication of loaves and fishes just south, just below the region of Bethesda on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. That's where he put them into the boat. They were to follow the northern shore, stay close to the shore, follow the northern shore around the top of the Sea of Galilee, past Capernaum, and land at Gennaraset. This would have been a one-hour journey by boat, a whole lot quicker than by walking by land. And so the disciples shove off. For nine hours, they shove off and row and row and row and row. But the Bible says they only got three miles. Why? Any fit person could row it in an hour. What's wrong? John's gospel lets us know. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. Ever try to row against the wind? The waves? What's happening? What's so common on the Sea of Galilee, a storm is brewing. I shared with you a, a couple of weeks ago that the mountain range around the Sea of Galilee is 4,000 feet above sea level. Yet the surface of the Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea level. Meaning that there's cold air and hot air colliding, creating sudden storms. A storm is brewing. The disciples are already exhausted from serving multiplied loaves and fishes to thousands of people. Now they're utterly exhausted, taking turns, rowing. And most of these boys in the boat, are they sailors or city boys? They're city boys. Only three are sailors. Most are city boys. And I can imagine Simon Peter, that loudmouth, yelling orders. I can imagine the others are bailing water out of the boat. I can imagine old doubting Thomas blowing up an inflatable life raft already. The city boys are seasick. They're hanging over the side. They're heaving up loaves and fishes. Oh. And then the storm hit with all of its fury. The disciples, get a hold of this, had been faithful to the Lord. They obeyed his instructions. They had gotten into the boat. They had departed upon his command. And what had gotten them? They're off course, nine hours of seasickness, and now a storm. And the worst part of it all was this. Jesus had not yet joined them, and they felt so alone. It kind of corrects the view that if you're a born-again, blood-washed, Bible-believing Christian, nothing bad will ever happen to you. Storm-free living from here on out. Just ask the Christian businessman who's been faithful to the Lord and now his partner has run off with all the money and the business has gone belly up. Just ask the couple who has prayed for years that the Lord would give them a child and yet every day they come to the nursery and the crib is empty. Just ask the dear old saint who has walked with the Lord, taught Sunday school classes, been a faithful member of the household of faith, given to missions. Yet the doctor now is using the big C word with her, cancer. When we experience a storm, and Jesus has not yet showed up, what, would, what should we do? Should we turn around? My word to you is to keep rowing. Keep rowing. Keep rowing. Much of life is rowing. 
Much of life is routine. Much of life is being faithful to his word, being faithful to prayer, showing up to church, being a source that can be counted on. Keep rowing, keep rowing. Be obedient, be faithful to the Lord. Years ago, my, my son was going to teach me to surf. He lives in California. He thought he'd teach his dad to surf. What's the hardest part about surfing? Getting out there. Getting out beyond the break of the waves. I mean, uh, you lay down upon that surfboard and then you paddle for all you're worth. And if you, got, if you don't have shoulder pain, you will have shoulder pain. And you're coughing up seawater. And I finally got out there beyond the break, waited for my wave. The big one came along. I'm going to ride it. I'm going to ride it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I took off with the wave and the surfboard took off with the wave too. I lost my board. I am not making this up. Three seconds later, the board suddenly appears, but in the opposite direction, shooting back from the surf at me. It hit me so hard in the chest. The doctor said I broke a rib. That was my last attempt surfing. But I'm here to declare to you this morning, this is the crux of this sermon. There is one, there is one, there is one who doesn't need a board to ride the waves. He rides, he walks, he treads upon the very thing that would like to drown you. And this morning I want you to lift up your eyes and see him in a way you've never seen him before. This morning, all three gospel writers, Mark, Matthew, John, contribute to revelations about this one. This morning that I want you to know him as our water walker. Would you pray with me right now in the name of Jesus? Father, in your name and for your glory, we commit this message to you. Hide me behind your glory, Lord. Grant his ears to hear and hearts to receive. In the name of Jesus, we pray it. Amen. The Bible says that Jesus saw, saw they were in serious trouble, rowing hard, struggling against the wind and the waves. Let there be no doubt. Jesus saw their struggle. He saw their stress. He saw their storm. Our Lord, our Lord is not senile. He's not faint. He's not feeble. He is not weary, nor is he too busy running the universe that he cannot know about your need. Our Lord is neither naive, distant, or uncaring. He sees, He knows the very minute details of your life. He knows the secret desires of your heart. He knows your hang-ups. He knows your faults. He knows your habits. There's not one detail in your life that escapes His notice. Look at the macro-universe. The more we probe into outer space, we are amazed by the fact that our God who created it, created it with clockwork detailed specificity and clockwork precision. The more that we go into inner space and look not at the macro universe, but the micro universe, we see that down to the tiniest living cell, that there is more complexity in one-celled creatures than there is in any computer known by man. The specifications for one-celled creatures is more complex and incredible than any automobile. It would make any auto engineer look primitive. He's a God of detail. He's a God of staggering precision and specificity. He sees your struggle with trying to get grades that seem impossible to get. He sees your, your, your problems with that one that keeps cutting you down at school or at work. Uh, he knows about your struggles in the home, your marriage, your family, your finances, your health. He sees your fears. He knows your tears. Matthew chapter 10, verse 29 Jesus said, not a single sparrow 
can fall to the ground without your father knowing about it. He goes to the funeral of every sparrow. And the very hairs on your head, they're all numbered. So don't be afraid. You're more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. What's Jesus telling us? <laughs> you do not escape his notice. He sees you. He knows you. He knows more about your storm than you do. But he has more than the power of detail. The NSA, the CIA, the FBI, it scares the living daylights out of me and how much they know about us. It's not enough to know you in detail. Our Father not only knows every minuscule item within your life, He looks at you with the look of love. He sees in love. Matthew 9, 36, Jesus, when He saw the multitudes, He was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Tuesday night, when 95% of the congregation came down here needing a miracle, even though I, as your pastor, I know about many, many things going on in this congregation and what you're struggling and striving with health-wise or otherwise, as people stood here 10 deep and we stayed here till 11 o'clock that night praying over individual needs, my heart, my heart broke as I realized I became overwhelmed by the needs of people, the sicknesses, the diseases, the maladies, the marital problems, the family problems, the financial needs, the cancer. And I thought, what must our Father, what must Jesus experience when He looks upon all of our needs? How could Jesus handle it as thousands came to Him? And the need was overwhelming. He looks upon us with the look of love, the look of compassion. He knows the details, the needs of your life. He sees all. Case in point, Let's go back to the Stone Age when I was in college. I played as the soccer captain for the soccer team of the school, and I'd hurt my back playing soccer so bad, the small of my back. I had hurt it so bad that I was out of class for an entire week flat on my back. Never happened before. Never any back problems. Becky dragged me to the Friday night service, and I wanted to be there too. We had just started going together. Paul Youngie Cho, the pastor of the largest church in the world, probably perhaps still is the largest church in the world. At that time, over 100,000 South Koreans attending that church there in Seoul, South Korea. He could not speak a word of English. He was talking through a translator. And before he began preaching, he began giving words of knowledge of what the Lord was revealing to him about people that were in the audience. Over a thousand students were there that night. I was in so much pain, I could not sit upright, so I took a hymn book. God bless those hymn books. I took a hymn book and put it behind the small of my back, between the pew and my back, to, to relieve the pain. As Paul Young E. Cho began giving a word of knowledge, he said, there's someone out there with back pain. Stand up and confess your healing. And my German mind thought to myself, there's all kinds of people out here with back pain. Let's see who stands up. <laughs> Nobody stood. So he went further. He said, you have back pain because you have injured yourself in a sport. I'm looking around. There's got to be somebody here in a thousand people that has injured their back in a sport. He went a step further. And he walked down. He picked up a hymn book. 
He's speaking through the translator. Even the translator had a hard time coming up with the English word, him, book. And you have taken one of these. You have placed it behind the small of your back. Stand up right now. You are healed. I said, God really does see me. He really does know my name. I stood up and complete com proclaimed and confessed my healing, and I have never, ever been um, uh, ailed with that ever again, afflicted with that ever again. It instantly left me in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. My point is this. God sees it all. He knows it all. But more than that, he sees with love, not condemnation. Get a hold of that. Secondly, our Lord's love for us, or excuse me, third, or secondly, I got the second point. And what does our Lord do while we, like the disciples, are going through our storms? What's he doing? Is he taking a nap? Huh? Is he up there hugging a tree on the mountaintop? What's he doing? What's he doing while we're going through the storms? He prays. He prays. He prays for us. Matthew 14, after sending them home, he went up in the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble, far away from land, for a strong wind had arisen, and they were fighting heavy seas. Jesus wasn't in the boat because he had gone to the mountaintop to pray. And Jesus hasn't changed. After the cross and the resurrection, Jesus, the Bible says, ascended into heaven. And he's not in heaven sitting on the throne, twiddling his thumbs, wondering what to do. My Bible and your Bible says he is our high priest. And let me tell you this morning, there's only one priest. No man is a priest. That is unbiblical. That's antithetical to the word of God. That's blasphemy. There's only one mediator between God and man, and that man is Jesus Christ. No man cometh to the Father except by him. And Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 declares that he always lives to make intercession for them. Who is the them there? That's you and I. He prays for us. And what does he pray? Do you remember what Jesus said to Peter at the Last Supper? At the Last Supper, Luke records it. Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired thee. He's asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you <laughs> that your faith might not fail. Oh, it's one thing to have a deacon pray for you. It's one thing to have an elder pray for you. It's one thing to ask your pastor to pray for you. But when you got God in Christ Jesus interceding, when nail-scarred hands are being lifted up to the throne of God, that your faith might not fail. Hallelujah. You've got a prayer warrior. Praise the Lord. Oh, that should thrill your soul that Jesus is praying for you right now. Now, we can't conceive of that with a three-dimensional mind that's locked in time and space. But an omnipresent God who can be everywhere at once can pray for every single one of us at the same time. Who knows all of your needs, all the details of your life, and he's praying for you. He's not only praying that your body might be healed. He's not only praying that your finances might be straightened out. He's not only praying that your marriage might be mended. He is praying that your faith might not fail. You see, before, 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 he prays for your circumstances to change. He wants your character to change. It's not enough for your body to be healed. He wants you to grow in Him. He wants you to experience intimacy with Him. He wants you to walk and talk with Him. Our Lord's love for us is so consuming. More than seeing us. More than praying for us. Get a hold of this. He comes to us. He comes to us. He comes to us in our storms. 
As the winds blew and the waves hammered that little boat, we can imagine the disciples asking the big why question. We've been faithful. We've been obedient. Why is this happening to us? Where's Jesus in all this? Why hasn't Jesus come here? But Jesus not only saw them, Jesus is coming. Matthew records for us in verse 25, about 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them. There's nothing more blessed than when you're able to say, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And when Jesus came, it made all the difference. It made all the difference. Psalms 34 verse 18 declares, The Lord is especially near to them of a broken heart. And He saves the crushed in spirit. No child of God is ever, ever, ever alone. This is the promise of the Lord. Uh, he said, I will never leave thee. I will never forsake thee. Lo, I am with you always, even until the end of time. I am with you. You know, I feel sorry for people that never have problems. How many people do you know of? I mean, you'd swear they were born under a lucky star. Huh? I'm talking about they never have problems with their, their health. They never have problems with their wealth. I mean, it seems like everything goes their way. I feel sorry for them. Because it's not until you're bankrupt that you know that he's Jehovah Jireh, your great provider. It's not until you're flat in your back looking up, then you're sick that you know him as Jehovah Rophe. I am the Lord that healeth thee. Uh, you see, our problems, our storms, bring fresh revelation of who our God really is. He's the master of the wind and the waves, and in your storm, he comes for you. He comes to you. He comes to meet you at your point of need. Hallelujah. The blessing of the storm, fresh revelation. Fresh revelation. And get a hold of this. Have you found greater intimacy with Jesus in the storm? Do you discover that it gets sweeter every day as you're in the storm? Do you remember those three boys, those Hebrew teenagers? Come on, tell me their names. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. <laughs> they thought they knew their Lord, but they were about to know their God in a way they had never known Him before. They were about to enjoy Him in a way they had never enjoyed Him before. You remember in Daniel chapter 3 on the plain of Dura, there they were ordered by the king himself. When you hear the band play, when Woodstock, uh, when the Eagles, uh, when Jimi Hendrix, uh, when Beyonce, when they sing and play, I want you to bow. I want you to bow before my golden image. And if you don't bow, you're going to burn. Did those three young men, did they cop out, cave in, and compromise? They said, oh, king... We do you no dishonor, but we declare to you that our God is able. Oh, I like that. Our God is able to deliver us from your hand. But if he chooses not to, we will still not bow to your image. We'd rather burn than bow. So old King Nebuchadnezzar says, okay, then according to your words, so be it, you're going to burn. And he brought up his army rangers. He brought up his navy seals, his green berets. Read it there in the Bible. His most athletic, strongest, fiercest warriors. They threw those three teenagers into the fiery furnace and the Bible says the fire was so hot, it French fried those special op troops those strong warriors were burned to death but the king opened up his eyes and looked into the flames and he said I see one man I see two men I see three men 
I see a fourth man that appears to be the Son of God. Hallelujah. Jesus was walking and talking with them in the flames. Jesus was walking and talking with them. And note the scripture there. It's in Daniel chapter 3. They were thrown in bound, but the king said, I see them walking unbound. The only thing that they lost were their bondages. And then this is my point here this morning. They so enjoyed walking and talking with Jesus in the flames. They so enjoyed his presence because his presence is always more real when you're in the fire than when everything is going your way. You'll have an intimacy. You'll have a closeness. You'll have a touch of God in your life if you can't keep focused upon him. If you remain faithful to him in the fire, you will sense the Lord guiding you and holding you, comforting you and emboldening you in a way you never experienced before. Four. Read it there in Daniel chapter 3. He said, boys, boys, would you come out of the fire now? They didn't want to come out because they so enjoyed the presence of the Lord. You will, you will, you will never enjoy greater intimacy with Jesus than when you're going through the storm. Oh, do I stand in line wanting to go through the storm? No. But I can testify from my own life that my greatest experiences with God is when he's allowed me to go through the storm. Sometimes he takes me out of the storm. Sometimes he takes me through the storm. Either way, he's with me. And oh, what a Jesus he is. Hallelujah. Somebody help me this morning and give him praise and give him glory. Amen. Fourthly, and when Jesus comes in your storm, he's not rowing. He's not swimming. What's he doing? He's walking on the water. Matthew 14, 25, about 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. Oh, you got to get a hold of the truth here. Jesus never, ever does anything by accident. Never does anything by happenstance. Everything is with purpose. He is revealing truth here. I don't want you to miss the truth here. There's a profound truth here in the eerie gloom of that moonlit night, that storm-tossed night, when it was filled with fear and terror. What was it that gave them a greater nightmare than any other nightmare? About 3 o'clock in the morning, it wasn't the wind or the waves. It wasn't the waters that were about to drown them. They saw a figure approaching them. This figure was unmoved by the wind and the waves, unmoved by the ferocity of the storm. The wind was holding them back. This one is moving against the wind. They're sinking in the waters. This one is walking upon the waters. They're about to be drowned by the sea. This one is striding upon the sea. Who is this one? Who is this one? Who is this one that comes upon them? Who is this one that moves against the wind and the waves? This is the one who caused the blind to see and the lame to walk. This is the one, think of it, who was so mild and loving and comforting. Little children ran to his embrace. But he is so authoritative, even the demons screamed in, in his presence. This is the one who confronted death that was four days old. And as he stood before the tomb, uh, he was able to say, Lazarus, come forth, because he is the author of life, the creator. This is the one, hallelujah, who went the distance to the cross and shed his blood for you and I. And every drop of blood that he shed upon that tree said, I love you, I forgive you. And when the tomb was sealed, when the stone was rolled in its place, when he was laid in the grave, uh, the demons danced and the devil dined. Uh, he thought that he had won. Uh, but on that Easter morning, <laughs> he broke free of the bonds of hell, death, and the grave. And he ascended on high. All authority is given me in heaven and earth. 
I am the resurrection and the life. Behold, I was dead, but I am alive forevermore. And I hold the keys, the authority over hell, death and the grave. Who is this one who's walking upon the waters? Who is this one? Oh, come on, church. Oh, say it like a preacher. Hallelujah, you got it. Jesus, Lord of glory, King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus. Matthew 14, 26, when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. And in their fear, they cried out, It is the Lord. What did they say? It's a ghost. Thursday night, Thursday night, we had the Hakes family come over to our home Thursday night for some family time. I think I have an easier time memorizing all of your names than keeping up with the Hakes family as it grows and grows and grows. Amen. We had Julie and Pastor Ryan, Jack and Logan, and now the twin girls, little June and Everly. Amen. I've just begun to note the difference between the two twin girls and be able to name them. No, which is which? Before they left Thursday night, because the boys had to go to school, and the boys needed a good, restful night's sleep, a good, sound, restful, comforting sleep before going to school. They said, Grandpa, Grandpa, can we play hide-and-seek? Now, you know me. We don't play no ordinary hide-and-seek. It's the same way that I raised my children, the same hide-and-seek I raised my children one with, uh, you know, the kind that traumatizes a child. We turn off all the lights in the basement, count to 100, take a flashlight, put it under our chin, and walk around, growling in a deep bass voice, yum, yum, eat him up, eat him up. <laughs> Gonna get you. Yum, yum, eat him up, eat him. Mm. <laughs> I used to be able to find him pretty quick, pretty easy. Couldn't find him this time. We're walking around the basement. Finally, we went to where the water supply comes in. It's like a little one-man closet. And I'm going, uh, yum, yum, eat him up. And I fling open the door, and both boys are there hugging each other, shaking. And uh, in the darkness with the flashlight under my chin, I come down and go, yum, yum, eat him up. And Logan screams shaking all over and, and crying and Julie comes running and, and, and embraces him and picks him up and you know I'm now feeling like uh, like this and and I said but it's grandpa it's grandpa grandpa Logan squeezes his head over my daughter's shoulder and says, bad grandpa bad grandpa bad grandpa they carried him upstairs. They put him in his child seat in the, in the car. And as they bad grandpa. The boy still isn't the same. I mean, <laughs> no, no. Bad grandpa. In their storm, in their storm, they didn't recognize Jesus. That can happen to us. As you're walking through the valley, as you're dealing with your giants, the mountains in your way, the battles of life, the storms, sorrow, worry, fear can do that to you. Don't miss Jesus in your storm. What they thought was their curse ended up being their greatest blessing. <laughs> Think of it. In another storm, he spoke peace be still and he took them out of the storm but this time he's going to take them through the storm both are miracles 
Both are ways that God can deal in your life. The pivotal question that I pose to you this morning is this. Ever think about it? Why did Jesus walk on the waters? Was he trying to impress them? No. My Jesus never knew the sin of pride or self-glory. Why did he walk upon the waters? He could have supernaturally stood up in the front of a boat and supernaturally done this with his finger and had a Holy Ghost motor that would have taken him 250 horsepower mercury motor and taken him out to their boat. Could have flown. Could have done a beam me up Scotty and just, boop, he's there. Nothing restricting our Lord from doing that. Why did he walk upon the waters? My Jesus, your Jesus does nothing by coincidence, happenstance, or accident. Every miracle that he did in the Gospels had a message behind it, had a purpose behind that. If you miss this, if you miss this, if you miss this, you will stay at the elementary stage in your discipleship. Jesus is revealing a profound, deep truth here. By walking on the water, Jesus was walking on the very source of their fear. The one who said, all authority in heaven and earth has been granted me was exercising authority and power over the very thing that would like to drown them. Are you dealing with a storm this morning? Then, honey, sir, ma'am, lift up your eyes and see your Jesus. He's not hiding in a storm shelter. He's not running from the tornado. He's not dialing 911. He's coming to you. He's walking on the very thing that would like to defeat you. Hallelujah, because he's revealing he's Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and he treads upon the waters. When the disciples cried out, it's a ghost, a powerful voice pierced the raging storm. Don't be afraid. I am here. You need to underscore, you need to highlight, you need to write those two words down. I am I am. I am. Greek scholars tell us, and I can definitively tell you, after one year of Greek, I can tell you that the pronunciation there of I am is a deity formula. We first find it at the burning bush when Moses said, Who are you? And the voice from the burning bush said this, I am that I am. I am the self-existent, eternal God. There's no greater way of saying self-existence, <laughs> eternal self-existence, than I am that I am. When they came, when they came to the garden to arrest Jesus and the garden of Gethsemane, and they said, are you Jesus of Nazareth? Remember what he said. He said, I am and what happened to them? They all fell over backwards and passed out. When Jesus says, I am, he is announcing his deityship. He's announcing, I am your Messiah. I am the eternal one. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I am the great. I am. Hallelujah. There it is. I am is all that you need. You might be in the grip of a storm this morning. Lift up your eyes to Jesus and receive a fresh revelation of who your God really is. You might be saying, I'm poor. I can't make next month bills. I can't make the payments for next month. Lift up your eyes and see him walking upon the waters of financial stress as he says, I am Jehovah Jireh and my God shall supply all of your needs. My Lord, I'm sick. I've got a disease. 
I've got a malady, an affliction. The doctors don't have an answer for it. I'm sick. I am Jehovah Rophe. I am the Lord that healeth thee. By my stripes you are healed. You might say, but... But Lord, I'm hooked, I'm bound, I'm addicted, I can't break this habit. He says, I am your line of the tribe of Judah, and I still break every chain. I'm your Lord of glory, and he who the sun sets free is free indeed. But Lord... I'm consumed with fear. I worry night after night. I hold my, my hand over my chest to check and see if my heart is beating. I get up every morning to see if I've got a pulse. Uh, I open my mouth and stick out my tongue and see if I have a new disease. Lord, I'm afraid I'm going to die. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but love, power, and a sound mind. If God be for us, who can be against us. See him walking upon your waters. Yes, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Oh, come on. Give him some praise. Give him some glory. Don't look at me. Amen. He's worthy. He's the great I am. The Lord was revealing that no matter your storm, be it a storm of sickness, financial difficult, even the very forces of hell, all things are under his feet. And let there be no uncertainty. Now I want you to notice when Jesus appears in our storms, walking on the waters, he calls to us. Oh, this is powerful. He not only sees us, he not only prays for us, he not only comes to us, he not only comes walking to us, he now calls to us. And what is the operative word that he utilizes when he calls? Come. Come. If I had time, I could preach a whole sermon on this word. I'm convinced it's God's favorite word in the Bible. The last page of your Bible ends with this word, come. Maranatha, even so, come. Lord Jesus, the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, all ye that are weary and thirsty, come. <laughs> oh, I could preach. Oh, I'm almost about ready to preach a whole sermon. Come, come. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Jesus said, yes, come. I imagine the disciples in the boat. Do it, Peter. Do it, Peter. Do it. Get out. You can do it. We'll clap for you. We'll applaud you. But we're going to enjoy the comfortability zone of the boat here. Go on, Peter. You do it. So Peter got out of the boat. And Peter walked on. No, he didn't. The Bible never says that. Caught you, didn't I? Eugenia, you're supposed to know this one. <laughs> Nobody can walk on water. If Jesus hadn't said, come, Peter would have gotten out of that boat and bloop, 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 sunk and drowned. Peter was enjoying, experiencing the authority and the power of walking upon the Word of God. Has the Lord given you a word? Has the Lord given you a word? Hallelujah. I don't care about the storm. I don't care about the wind and the waves. But the Lord, when he gives you a word, honey, sir, ma'am, you can walk on it. Hallelujah. His word is sharper than any two-edged sword. His word in Ephesians 6, 17, the sword of the Spirit is the Rhema, or the spoken word of the Lord. The greatest thing that you can do in your storm <laughs> is to get out of your boat and start confessing, declaring, proclaiming the spoken word of God. If you haven't memorized it, then get your Bible out. If you need some authoritative, miracle, uh, infected verses, I'll give them to you. But the main thing is get out of your boat. <laughs> 
Get out of your boat and start confessing and possessing, naming and claiming, blab it and grab it. Hallelujah. Get out of your boat, honey, and begin to walk and say, no weapon formed against me can prosper. Though the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. I'm more than a conqueror through him that loves me. Nothing will separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Greater is he that's within me than he that's within the world. Walk and talk uh, upon his word. Do you see it there? A rhema word, a spoken word, walking upon the promises of God, claiming the promises of God. Matthew 14, 29. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But, 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 pastor, in a few moments, he's going he's gonna to sink. Ah, I'm not there yet. I want you to remember 11 other failures who were sitting in the boat, and they were the real failures. The real failure, honey, sir, ma'am, young person, is when you sit back in the cozy comfortability of the boat, and you don't get out of your boat that the Lord is calling you to get out of. The Lord has called you. Let me put this into action. Some of you are not receiving miracles in your life because you're too secure in the comfortability of your boat. And you're refusing to get out of the boat and step upon the word of the Lord and walk in victory and in authority over the very thing that would like to drown you. The Lord is calling you to get out of your boat. There is something for you to do in this miracle. There is something for you to do in this victory. The Lord always invites us to participate in the victory. The Lord had the disciples hand out the multiplied loaves and fishes. The Lord had them remove the stone from the tomb of Lazarus and unbind him. There's a part for you to play in what God wants to do in and through your life. Do what you can do. Faith without works is dead. Faith always involves something that you do. Faith is, I hear it, I believe it, uh, I receive it, and now I act upon it and get out of my boat. Pastor, I want to get healed. I want to get healed. I want to get healed, Pastor. I need a healing in my body. Well, what do you need to do? The Bible says, "Let if there be any sick or afflicted among you, let them call upon the elders and they will anoint them with oil and the prayer of faith will heal the sick. There's something for you to do. Pastor, I want to get closer to Jesus. Well, there's something for you to do. That some of you, I've watched you. You've never done it. My Bible says, lift up holy hands unto the Lord. My Bible says lift up your voice and give a shout of joy. My Bible says that you are to ascribe majesty and honor and glory and power and blessing. That means you need to open up your mouth and confess who your God is and praise Him and press into His presence with worship. And then there will be intimacy and growth in your life. Okay, let's see if you'll be shouting with this one here. Let's see if you'll be dancing with this one here. The Lord says, some of you have complained and saying, Pastor, Pastor, I need a blessing on my finances. I need a better job. I need better employment. Uh, Pastor, uh, I need a blessing upon my finances. Then tithe. I said tithe. Do what you can do. And then watch God do what only a God can do. Our God. Who promises to open up the floodgates. A blessing for his honor and glory's sake. Bless you, Ken. Come back and have a seat. I'm losing their attention, brother. God bless you. Don't you love this, brother? Amen. Amen. 
Amen. Amen. But pastor, pastor, I've been praying for years for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Did Jesus force Peter out of the boat? Did, uh, did Jesus all of a sudden wave his hand like a puppet master and with invisible strings, all of a sudden you saw Peter go, is that what we see? No. Plus, Peter could have sat there and said, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. But if he did nothing, it, that's not faith. That's mere mental assent. Peter did what he could do. He knew how to stand up. He knew how to get out of a boat. And he knew how to walk. What do you know how to do? You know how to open your mouth. And you know how to speak. Acts chapter 2, 4. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. As they began to speak, they did the speaking in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave the utterance. What are you going to do? You're going to believe that He's already promised. The Bible says in Galatians 3.14 that we might receive the promise of the Spirit by faith. By faith. When you come down the altar or go at home in your closet of prayer, Lord, when you save me, you filled me with your Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is more than a filling. It's a releasing. Jesus said, out of their innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. You, all, you couldn't be born again without the Holy Spirit. He's already within your life. He already is resident. He just needs to be president. Uh, he will not be restricted to a corner of your house. He wants the run of the whole house. Open your mouth. Uh, believe. Speak a word. Whatever comes to your mouth, speak it. One word is the key to a thousand words. But some of you, I watch you down here at the altar, and you think that God is going to come down. and, uh, Honey, you need to get out of your boat. Open your mouth. Begin. If it helps, just start saying hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Before you know, his word is going to flow through you. Oh, I could give example after example after example. There's a part for you to play. If you want a miracle, get out of your boat. Get out of your boat. But we've got to move on. If we call out to Jesus when we fail him, he will immediately restore us. Matthew 14, verse 30. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Began to sink. I've told my dad, stop watching Fox News 24-7. I love Fox News. But you listen to the news 24-7, even fair and balanced. You'll be filled with so much negativity, uncertainty, confusion, doubt, and fear, you won't sleep at night either. What are you focusing on? What are you listening to? What is feeding your faith or feeding your fears? He began to sink, and he cried out, Save me, Lord! And Jesus casually took his time and came over and waited until Peter was just ooh, and about ready to go under gulping seawater. And Jesus looked down on him and said, Oh, you numbskull. You've blown it this time, haven't you? You need to circle it, highlight it. It's one of the most important words in the Bible. Save me, Lord, he shouted. And Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? And I believe Jesus said it with a smile, a chuckle. When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him for the very first time. This is the first time in the entire Bible that the disciples did this. You really are the Son of God. The last time in a storm, they said, Behold, what manner of man is this? This time, you truly are the Son of God. Peter failed. Peter fell. 
Peter caved in to doubt and to fear. Peter blew it. I know you've never fallen. I know you've never failed. I know you have never blown it. If I was to have a show of hands of how many, how many have fallen and failed, how many have blown it, I'd lift up both of my hands. Where's your focus? Your passion will follow your focus. We all have heard it preached a dozen times. You focus on your fears instead of feeding your faith. It's no wonder you sink when you get your eyes off Jesus. That's a familiar tune. But my word to you this morning is if you have that sinking feeling, if you're drowning this morning because somebody from the pit of hell and we know his name has been whispering in your ear. You're a sinner. God doesn't love you. God is punishing you. This cancer, this problem, this malady, this difficulty is because of your sins. Because of your lack of faith. You're going under. You're going down. You're a loser. You're unworthy. The Lord can't hear your prayers. And some of you have that same sinking feeling that Peter must have had. And that's why I love that word, immediately. Save me, Lord. And he saved him immediately, and he's still doing it today. I declare to you this morning, I declare to you this morning, I declare to you this morning upon the authority of God's holy word, there is no sin. There is no immorality. There is no perversion. There is no adultery. There is no crime. There is no uh, sin of lying, stealing, or murder. There is no vice that is known to man. There is no perversion that is under the, the veil of heaven that is greater, that is greater than His grace. His grace is greater than all of our sins. There is no pit of sin that is so deep that His love, His mercy, His forgiveness is not deeper still. See Him walking upon your waters. And if you have fallen, uh, look up. Uh, cry out and say save me Jesus save me Jesus and he'll immediately reach out to you and the two of you arm in arm will walk to blessing together turn your eyes upon Jesus turn your eyes upon Jesus I said turn your eyes upon Jesus he is the Savior of your world. He is the Savior of your life. He is your blessing. He is your healing. He is your deliverer. He is your soon coming King. Though the storm rages, turn your eyes upon Jesus in the days ahead. And we don't know what's going to befall America. We don't know what crisis is going to come next. Will it be a 9-11? Will it be the deficit and the nation going bankrupt with our national debt? My Bible says that if I walk upon His Word, I can declare and say, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or begging for bread. If God be for us, who or what can be against us? For you this morning that are weary in fighting the battle, the fight of faith, I want to remind you that they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Young people, when the world wants to squeeze you into their mold, when the world says the most popular people are partying and weird people are virgins, you have a choice. You can bow down to what the world wants. Or you can say, I'd rather burn than bow. <laughs> and you'll burn with the holy fire of God as you turn your eyes upon Jesus and you declare, this body is not my own. It's been bought at a price. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to cave in, comp out, or compromise. I'm keeping my eyes on Jesus. Church, we're living in a world where it seems like the devil's won. But we've read the end of the book. I've read the end of the book. It doesn't end in a whimper. It ends in a roar of victory. We're on the winning side. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Listen, if you look around, you'll get dismayed. If you look behind you, you'll get discouraged. If you look ahead, you'll get distressed. If you look down, you'll get depressed. 
But if you look up, if you'll turn your eyes on Jesus, you'll see the master of the wind that roars and the waves that billow, the great I am. One day, one day, my Bible says, in that twilight zone hour of the battle of Armageddon, when it feels like the, the battle has been won by old Slewfoot, I'm talking about the beast, the Antichrist, the 666, uh, in that twilight zone hour, John in the book Revelations writes, and I saw the heavens opened, and I saw him that sat upon a white horse. Listen, this was no suffering, emaciated, bleeding Savior coming back. This is no baby in a manger coming back. This is a mighty warrior riding upon a milk-white stallion thundering through the clouds. Uh, the first time they gave him a cross, but this time he comes with a crown. And this time we can truly say, I see him, Lord of Lords, King of kings, master of the wind and the waves, I see him, my water walker. Hallelujah. Glory to God. My Jesus, stand and give him praise this morning. He's worthy of the glory. Oh, sing it with us. Revelation song, Cindy. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Holy, holy. Holy, holy is he. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The Lord is here this morning. And he wants to do a miracle in lives. He wants to do a miracle in bodies. He wants to do a miracle in families and marriages this morning. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I'm going to ask you as you sing it to get out of your boat. <laughs> the Lord has already said, come. <laughs> if you're sinking this morning, cry out, save me, Jesus. But as we sing it, would you get out of your boat and come? If you need a miracle, if you need a healing, if you need the Lord to walk upon your waters, come, come. Press into his presence. See him as the master of the wind and the waves. 